So a couple weeks ago, well, no, actually a couple months ago, and that's important. Hang on to that. A couple months ago, I looked out my back window and I told my wife, Josie, I said, I think I'm going to paint our garage this summer. And she probably didn't believe me when I said it because I've been saying it since 2014. I have, I have email evidence. I actually sent an email out to my home group saying, hey, want to help me paint the garage? And I looked at the date in my prep for this sermon and it was May of 2014. It remains unpainted. On a deeper level, my wife knows that I hate making decisions. And nothing reveals this like major house repair. Amen? There are three major enemies in my life to decision making. And I wonder if you can resonate. And the first is this, the tyranny of the urgent. This is when I don't make decisions. I allow life to make decisions for me. Do you know what I mean? I don't make decisions. I allow life to make decisions for me. So the funny thing is about my garage is that I just got a letter from the city of Grandview saying, paint your garage. (laughs) You're going to get fined $250 and get a misdemeanor. Now listen, the $250, I was like, "Eh, I can deal with that. It was the misdemeanor. It was the social shame that got me. I'm like, okay. So painting the garage went from something I should probably do one day to urgent. And now it's going to get done. I mean, first step was already accomplished this weekend. Tyranny of the urgent. The second uh, sort of obstacle to decision making for me is the tyranny of the perfect. The tyranny of the perfect is when I don't make decisions because the conditions have to be perfect. And it's a handy way to avoid making decisions with consequences because conditions are never perfect. So the other wisdom book, Ecclesiastes 11, says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Which could say, he who thinks too hard about paint colors and the weekend forecast will not paint. I remember waiting for the perfect time to ask my now wife, Josie, if I can marry her. And I was waiting for the perfect time. And and she broke up with me because because she's like, before 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 I even broached the topic, she broke up with me because she saw in me that I wasn't showing resolve. Amen? It's a good woman. The tyranny of the perfect. There were no perfect conditions. And then the third for me is the tyranny of choice. Uh, This is when I don't make decisions because I have too many choices. And so I recently dropped my phone, and I dropped my phone a lot, but this was one of those fatal drops, you know what I'm saying? And so I had to go back to the, I actually went to the Apple store, and because they only have a few phones for, for sale, it's like gloriously freeing. You walk into that store, and you're just like, well, I guess I'll take that one. But then the person selling me the phone said, now do you want a case? And pointed to this giant wall of just like 40 different cases. And then each case has a different color scheme. And it took me forever. It took me like minutes to get the phone. It took me forever to get the case. And then this embarrasses me to say it. It really does. I took the thing back. I took the case back. Tyranny of choice. I mean, lots of choices can be a blessing, and it really is, but it can also be crippling. Barry Schwartz calls us the paradox of choice. 
I don't know, maybe you are at a crossroads this morning. Maybe you have a big decision before you. I would love to convince you this morning that God's wisdom is your friend right now. Because we may not be able to make the perfect decision, but God is very optimistic that you can make a wise decision. I mean, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, without shaming you. God will give you wisdom. That is a promise that we need to bank on. And major life decisions, whatever it is in front of you right now, call it to mind, I dare you. (laughs) Stop pushing it away. Call it to mind, and whatever that is, I think most people oscillate between two false options or two false paths. What C.S. Lewis calls tortured fear on the one hand, And stupid confidence, on the other hand. Tortured fear or stupid confidence. There's got to be a third way. And there is. It's wisdom. Wisdom. When you cry out to God, I don't know what to do. God will remind you there is a wise decision at reach. There is a wise decision at reach. So what does Proverbs has to say about wise decision making? Well, it says a lot about wise decision making, but we could organize all that it says into three tests, three questions that could serve as tests as we as we consider the decisions that we make, both big and small. And the first test is this. What does God have to say about it? The second test is this. What does my life tell me about it? And the third is what I'm calling your sanctified gut. What does your sanctified gut tell you? And it's important to go in that order. And so let's do that. The first question is this. What does God tell me? The first question we should always ask when we're confronted with a major decision is what does God say? How do you know what God says? Well, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Did you catch that? All scripture is breathed out by God. That means that the Bible that you hold on your lap is God's say. It's his opinion. It's his word. And it's the first and last, or ought to be the first and last word on every life decision that you make. Which means two things. Make decisions trusting his opinion. Proverbs 35 through 6, if you'd like to turn with me. Proverbs 35 through 6 says this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so if any decision you make requires that you go against his word, then we know it's not a wise decision. We know that while it looks attractive at the front end, we know it will cause more headache and more heartache down the road in terms of wisdom. But we also know that it's straight up rebellion against God who is holy. And so what we do is when we have a decision before us, we think, all right, what is your opinion? And we hold his opinion high. And then the reverse or the the other side of this coin is is this. Make decisions with an appropriately low view of your opinion on the matter. 
a healthy distrust of your hot take. As Andrew Wilson puts it, cold takes are much better than hot takes. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. I like how Paul says it in the book of Ephesians. He says to this church, he says, Do not be foolish, which of course is the opposite of wisdom. Do not be foolish. And then how does he define foolishness? He says in verse 17, he says, well, wisdom would be understanding what the will of the Lord is. And how do you understand what the will of the Lord is? Well, God's expressed will is in the pages of this book. And so we care more about God's opinion on a certain issue than our own. We care more about God's opinion on a certain issue than even the opinion makers who are on TV or in the papers or colleagues at work or your family members. Frankly, your family of origin, their opinion on a certain matter will hold sway unless the Holy Spirit convicts you otherwise. It's important to raise up his opinion and have an appropriate distrust of your own opinion on every matter before you. And so when making a decision, let me just encourage you to ask first, what does God tell me about this? And as Proverbs told us in in chapter 30, verse 5, there is safety in God's word. It's called a refuge in the book of Proverbs, God's word. So I want you to imagine in your mind's eye a young boy or a young girl riding free on their bike. Just free and unhindered. Maybe hands sort of in the air without on the handlebars and kind of going from left to right, left to right on a highway. From one perspective, it's kind of beautiful. Here's a kid being totally free, totally just doing uh, doing their whim and just totally unencumbered by society. It's, it's sort of beautiful and compelling in our cultural moment. But truthfully, if you just think about it for a second, it, it really is terrible. First of all, this, this child, you're, you're driving behind this child and you don't want to hurt this child. Second of all, you see a 10-car pileup over there because they're all avoiding this child. Well, that's what it's like when we make major life decisions and we don't consult what God has to say. It's dangerous. It's not only dangerous for you, you can get swiped, but it's also you're also putting others in danger. And this is what we fail to realize. This is what that child failed to realize. They may be free and unencumbered, but there's a 10-car pileup. So let's connect our decisions to God's word. If it helps, and this helps me, imagine, you know, if you have a major life decision coming up, what do you typically do? You typically call up your best friend. You call up somebody you trust and you get coffee with them just so you can talk it over. I hope you do that. That's a good practice. We're going to talk about community in a minute. But what if you just sort of changed uh, the metaphor a little bit so that you would say to yourself, okay, this major life decision is coming up. Jesus, can I have coffee with you? And even bring the question to mind. Lord, I met someone. 
Do you have anything to say about that? And with the Bible open, he might. He just might. And it's a good, safe place to be. I would also encourage you to start reading the Bible and studying the Bible. See this as an amazing opportunity. We all crave safety, don't we? We're we're a helicopter generation, most of us. We love safety. We love the illusion of safety. Let me offer you free safety. Study the Scriptures. Because as you do so, you are encountering His truth, His Word. See the study of Scriptures and the reading of the Bible not as some burden, but see it as an opportunity to actually experience life to its fullness. I saw a statistic that said only 45% of regular church attenders read their Bibles more than once a week. I share this not to shame you because this was me. I went to seminary and I failed out. I failed the Bible content test. Here's a seminarian walking in and I couldn't answer basic questions about God's word. If God says something on a matter, we should, we should see it as a privilege and an opportunity to get to know it and to trust it and to experience the safety of it. I know someone who recently said to me that they used to view the Bible as a history book. But once he learned that the Bible was God's word to his people. Translation, once he learned that it was actually God's word, not just to his people, but also to him personally, it changed everything. And he started to open the Bible and see it as a conversation with the living God. Chances are when you pass this, this, the major life decision, whatever it is you're, you're confronted with, through this grid, what does God have to say? You'll discover, you know what? God, God is all for it. God, God loves this. You might also encourage, or you might also experience doors being shut. You know, that, that, that job promotion requires dishonesty, requires a lack of integrity for you to succeed in this career. And you might see the Lord just graciously shutting that door for you. I said there were three questions. Let's get to the second question. The second question is this. If the first question is, what does God have to say? The second question is, what does my life have to say? This is what the older generations of theologians would call studying God's providence. So let me encourage you to study what I'll call the three C's. Circumstances, your counselors, and your commitments. So in making a decision, first your circumstances, our eyes should be open to them. So Proverbs 16.33 says, The law is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so God doesn't just create the world and then step back, as it were, and let the dice fall where it may. No, no, no. God is not just the creator of the world, but He's also authoring the world, which means... That our circumstances, your circumstances, have God's handwriting on them. And if wisdom is skill and the art of godly living, becoming more and more wise is becoming more and more of a student of your circumstances. 
Number two, your counselors. When making decisions, we should seek counsel. So Proverbs 11, verse 14, if you'd like to turn with me there. Proverbs eleven fourteen reads this way. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. A little bit later, Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I remember when a friend, a good friend, called me about a move that was upcoming. This was years ago. And he said, I don't need you, Joe, to tell me what to do, but I do crave your wisdom. You see, seeking counsel from a friend or even from a professional is not some oracle that removes responsibility. It actually, I see it as accountability. I see it as a recognition and an admission that we have blind spots and that we need somebody speaking into our lives. And so I try to make it a practice in my own life, and this is recent, to have somebody above me speaking into me, beside me, the one of those bosom friends we learned about in the book of Proverbs, someone beside me speaking into me, somebody beneath me, and I say that figuratively, someone that I'm building into, someone that I'm discipling, someone that I'm mentoring, so that they can speak into me. And if you have a mentorship relationship as somebody is is uh, you're mentoring and they do not feel they have the ability to speak to you something's wrong we'll talk about that later but they could speak to you and I also feel like it's important to have somebody outside of your fishbowl speaking into you above beside below outside seeking what I'll call it a symphony of counsel a symphony of counsel there is safety in a symphony of counsel A wise man listens to advice. And number three, your commitments. Your commitments. So your circumstances, your counsel, and then your commitments. When making decisions, we should honor our commitments. I say that word, I chose that word carefully. Honor our commitments. Some commitments are a lot stronger than others. But if you are a wise person then you are in community. And if you are in community, that means you've made commitments. And Jesus, who is perfectly wise, said this in Matthew 5, 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Which means all of our decisions must respect the commitments we have made. And so for instance, marriage is a covenant commitment to another. And that automatically shuts like a bajillion doors in your life. And let me just say, that is a good thing. All of your commitments is a shutting of a door. And if there's one idol in our moment right now, it's we hate shutting doors, right? We hate shutting doors. We would like to just go right up to the line where we have to make a commitment and then maybe not even make the commitment so that all the doors are open still. But when you make a commitment, you shut a million doors. And I would love, I would love for you to just see that as a good thing, as a paradoxically freeing 
thing. And so my, uh, I, have a, I have a friend um, in, in my seminary days who was older than me by about 15, 20 years, and he said that he gave up staying up at the coffee shop till midnight, till when it closed, when he got married. Why? <laughs> he made a commitment, and it changed his options in a good way. Around Grandview, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, the senior yard signs have an infinity symbol instead of an eight. And so it says graduating class 2000 and then it has an infinity instead of an 18. And underneath it, it says uh, basically, essentially, reject limits, infinity. And I always, you know, because I'm a curmudgeon kind of, I sometimes walk down uh, in, the, in, the, in the signs and I'll see, I'll see this sign and I'll be like, that's terrible advice. What a terrible motto, you know. That's terrible. Love limits. Don't reject limits. Limits are good. Limits are your friend. They are your friend. What circumstances, counselors, and commitments amount to are God-given limits. And that is a blessing. I mean, even in the art world, they're beginning to realize this, that unencumbered freedom or unencumbered keeping your doors open isn't even good for design. So listen to this from Damien Corral, who's just a famous designer. He says, quote, I think if you're given a clean, fresh palette to do whatever you want, it's too much freedom, at least for me. And he's speaking from his own perspective in design. I've heard all kinds of creatives say imposed limitations paradoxically enhances creativity. And you could just say the same about the Lord. We just, the Lord made us limited. He created us with limitations. What are they? What are your limitations? Is it health? Is it, think about it. Just what are your limitations? What are your commitments? What are your circumstances? Honor them. Love them. See them as gifts from God. I like to say to folks, when they say no to me, you know, because the pastor has a ton of just sort of like uh, built in preloaded like shame generation. Uh, and so like when I say, hey, could you do this? Like suddenly the, the person I'm speaking to is like, well, if I don't, then the pastor's not going to think I'm um, a good Christian. And then therefore I feel shameful and I hate shame and there's nothing worse than social shame. Death and social death are the worst fears that we all have. And so they say, yes, when someone says no to me, I say, thank you for your no. Because one day I want you to thank me for my no. (laughs) Limits are your friend. Limits are good. And we should all see them as gifts from God. And so we ask in major life decisions, what is life teaching me? What is my life situation telling me about this decision that I have in front of me? You study his providence. And that's good. Number three, finally... What does my sanctified gut tell me? Now, let me explain that phrase. If the first question we ask is, what does God say? And the second question we ask is, what does my life say? The third question is internal. When making decisions, we should carefully and prayerfully pay attention to God's leading in our lives. Most teaching on decision making starts and ends here. Doesn't it? Well, what's your gut say? What's your heart saying? Follow your heart. If it feels wrong, it's probably wrong. If it feels right, it's probably right. 
Well, I purposely started with what does God say? Because if what God says is in direct contradiction to what you feel is right in your heart, then what you feel is right in your heart, the scriptures would categorize that as a sinful desire. Not as wise. Okay? So what we need to do is we need to ask filter our decisions through the grid and in that order. What does God say? What what do my circumstances say? And then importantly, not as sort of this little third brother down the way, but very much importantly, we need to pass it through in prayer, in intimate conversation with the Lord. These are not set against each other. We should pay attention to God's leading. Now, clearly, this is the most dangerous one. The prophet Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The old English prayer book teaches us to admit that there is no health in us. And so it is dangerous. And I think follow your heart is usually terrible advice. But... The internal is also vital. Just because the heart can be deceptive doesn't mean we disregard it. Have you heard of regeneration? Do you know what regeneration is? It's God giving you a new heart. Why would he give you something new if he he didn't want you using it? Christians have been given a new heart and God wants to change your heart so that what we love is true and beautiful and good. And Proverbs 4.23 encourages us to keep your heart or to guard your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the spring of life. Um, In weightlifting, in the weightlifting world, there's a phrase called greasing the groove. Have you heard of this phrase, greasing the groove? Do you know what this is? So greasing the groove has been defined this way. Uh, it's, It's what you're doing when you consistently practice a specific strength skill. You're just consistently practicing a movement, for instance. For instance, you don't have to think about walking because you've been greasing the groove your whole life. The same is true about wisdom. And wisdom literature speaks about wisdom this way. In fact, when it talks about pathways, a lot of what it's describing is wagon tracks in a a dirt road that over time creates ruts. And in this case, in the case of wisdom and not foolishness, these ruts are good and desirable. And then we start to pay attention to what I call our sanctified hunches. Have you ever had a sanctified hunch? You just have a hunch. And based, based on the grooves that have been sort of uh, driven into the ground over the course of your life, you don't have to think too hard about major decisions. It's like, as Dallas Willard puts it, someone who's taken swings their whole life in practice. When they step up to the actual pitch in the game, there's something that they've done by greasing the groove their whole life. That they don't have to think too hard about the swing. They don't have to think too hard about the arm slot. It all has sort of been greased into their neurological pathways. And the Lord, uh, in His wisdom, created His image bearers the same way. When we make wise decisions, when we're in wise community, and when we're leaning on Him in prayer, we get what I call sanctified hunches. We, we can follow, in a sense, His leading. Of course, we pass it through the Word and through our community and our circumstances. 
But don't ignore the gut, the sanctified gut. After all, God the Spirit dwells within us, and He convicts, and He leads. So listen and follow. I think a way that we could talk about this third question is under the heading of prayer. God wants his people to dialogue with him. Not necessarily to speak at him, but to speak with him. So in making decisions, we should carefully and prayerfully pay attention to God's leading. And that only happens through dialogue prayer, receptive prayer. Others have said prayer has a sort of encounter and a conversation element. And it's tempting to sort of pick one or the other. And most of us in our tradition pick the encounter element. Prayer is an encounter. I encounter God and and I tell him things. But it's also conversation sitting quietly before God, opening his word, reading it and saying, God, why are you telling me this? The saying, like James 1, 5, I, I don't know what to do. God, would you give me wisdom? It's a receptivity to God. And that happens through prayer. When I was in Israel with my dad, uh, a few years ago, I was told not to drink the water there. And this kind of holds true with anywhere you travel that you're just not familiar with the water. But they're like, don't drink the water. And so for two weeks, we were on a strip for two weeks, I drank just bottled water and a ton of bottled water. I was just drinking because they were like, it's also a desert. And so you want to drink a lot of water, which is like this horrible catch 22. Don't drink their water, but drink a lot of water. So I ended up buying a ton of bottled water and it was all uh, filtered. You know, Starbucks, they have triple filtration water. I just wanted to make sure that the water I'm drinking was filtered. And I'd love for you to start thinking about your life decisions as a triple filtration system. And the three filters could be God's word and our our situation, our life situation. And then finally, God's presence in us. If you ignore the first, you might make a sinful decision. If you ignore the second, you might make a foolish decision. If you ignore the third You are a Christian robot, and you're not conversing with the Lord and following his lead. And one more thing before we close up. If the statistics are true, half of you are dealing right now with the consequences of a bad decision. What then? What then? Let me just say two quick things in closing. Number one, do not confuse consequences with condemnation. Remember, Jesus, who never made a bad decision, who is our wisdom, suffered the wrath of God for us. His beloved disciple John says, if we say we have no sin, this is what we read this morning in our in our worship service. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, which means if you've confessed your sins. There is now, therefore, no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus and it would be unjust of God to withhold his justifying grace because of what Jesus has done. 
And so Jesus, in this verse, I see him actually encouraging you to admit your bad decisions. And to own them freely. And then to experience the freedom of his, I love you. And his healing. And I would say number two, after don't confuse uh, consequences with condemnation, I would say number two, God wants to redeem your story. Someone said it to me when I was when I was struggling and I say it to others now, nothing is wasted. Nothing. Every major player in the scriptures, except Jesus, made epically bad decisions. And God is pleased to use these epically bad decision makers in his story to make much of his redeeming grace. In fact, if you think about the life of Peter, it's very much Peter's bad decision making that makes him such a powerful witness in the early church. He is a powerful witness, not because of his own power, but because of his weakness. And he knows that it's the power of God that rests on weakness. And so you can have full assurance that your story, littered as it is with bad decisions, littered as it is in my own story with bad decisions, God is delighted to use that story. He does not see it as second class. Do not confuse consequences with condemnation. And do not you dare believe that your story is now worthless. Jesus is Redeemer.